All right. Just to catch you guys up to speed a little bit, for those of you who are on break, we've been going through a series in the Ten Commandments. And uh, it's a six-week series. This is our third week in the series. And so just to catch you guys up to speed a little bit, you know, a lot of us wonder, you know, what's the relevance uh, in my life with the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments, uh, also known as the law, and I'm, I might use that interchangeably, the law, the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the same thing here. And to catch you up to speed a little bit, to bring you up to speed through the past two weeks, um, the Ten Commandments, what is the relevance to my life? I thought the Ten Commandments were more of an Old Testament thing. Um, I thought the Ten Commandments were just something that God gave to his people in the wilderness as they were going to the promised land. And, you know, great principles, great story, but how does it relate to my life? Because New Testament, when Jesus comes, aren't we saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But listen, if you have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have fallen in love with the Lord and God has made you right in relationship with him through the power and blood of Jesus Christ and you understand that and you've experienced that and you've continued to groan, uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, then what your natural motivation and response to that salvation will be to do good works, to obey the Lord and you'll want to honor him. And I pray that you all have experienced that. You've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and now you're like, like, Lord, I, in response to all that you've done for me, in response to your love for me, in response to the work you did on the cross and rising from the dead, I now want to dig into your word. I'm hungry to learn more about you. I want to read more about what you've done for me. In response to all of that, I want to do good. I want to read your law. I want to uh, live in such a way that pleases and honor you and honors you. So I hope you've come to that place in your relationship with the Lord where it's not, I'm just performing for the Lord to attain God's love, but because I've received God's love in the person of Jesus Christ, now I want to do good and I want to do good works. I want to be obedient to him. So that's that's the context by which we're digging out the, the Ten Commandments here. So again, I'm just going to briefly uh, catch you guys up to speed if you're here on break. There are three divisions of the Old Testament law. How many of you guys remember um, how many laws collectively in the Old Testament were there? 613. Smart bunch. 613 Old Testament laws. 613 Old Testament laws the rabbis, the, the Jewish rabbis counted. Collectively, they can be uh, divided into these three categories, the moral aspect of the law, the ceremonial aspect of the law, the dietary aspect of the law. I'm not going to go into those subcategories. We talked about it over the last two weeks. Those are essentially how you can divide those 613 Old Testament laws. The two, uh, the last two uh, aspects of the law, the ceremonial and dietary, are no longer binding. We are no longer obligated to obey or observe those kind of, kinds of laws. We talked about Colossians chapter 2, and we'll revisit Colossians chapter 2 later in this study. The moral aspect of the law is still intact. The moral aspect of the law was all about your behavior and your heart attitude in relationship with the Lord. And that is obviously still intact. Those are the three divisions. Now, there were three purposes of the Old Testament law as well. To explain what sin is, to expose sin in us, and also to express our need for a Savior. When we read the Ten Commandments, when we read all of the 613 laws in the Old Testament, it first, it explains what sin is. You know, Paul talks about in Romans 7, verse 7, if you're taking notes, you can write that down, Romans 7, 7, Paul says, I wouldn't have known what coveting was unless it was explained to me in the Bible. 
So the law, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, it explains what sin is. It also exposes sin in us. When we look at the law, you know, I, got, I gave this mirror illustration. We go to the law and it looks like a mirror and we see our reflection within the mirror, within the law, and we see our dirt. We see just how dirty we are. We see our filth. So it ex- exposes the sin in us. And then lastly, it then expresses our need for a savior. I can't live up to this law. I can't live up to the Ten Commandments. I need someone to be that mediator between me and God because on my own, I, I can't do this. I can't be this perfect person. That's where Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf so that when we go through Jesus to get to God, God sees us as perfect because of Jesus' work, not because of what we've done. Is everybody kind of tracking with me on this? So this is the purpose of the Ten Commandments. This is the purpose of the law. Now, it's important for us to understand, understand because whenever we read the Bible, and oftentimes still, I'll read the Bible and I'll read some of the Old Testament law. I'll read, I'll read the New Testament because Jesus even uh, racked it up a notch. And he said in the, in the New Testament, he said, you know, the Old Testament says, you shall not commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So, you know, Jesus raises it up a notch even. So when I read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know, when we read those laws, a lot of times we can kind of have the mindset of, you know, just these laws are just, God has put them in place to restrict my fun, to limit my fun, to prohibit me from doing fun things. But listen, we, it's important, and I just want to, I have to bring this up so that we, it can set up the context for us. When we go to the Ten Commandments, it is not God saying, here are your rules. If you disobey these rules, then I will not love you. If you disobey these rules, then you will be punished. Okay, God, and we have to, before we get to Exodus chapter 20, we have to understand the context. God has brought his people out of slavery. You remember when they were in Egypt? 400 years in slavery. God has brought them out of slavery, part of the Red Sea, awesome thing, brought them into the wilderness, freed them from their chains while they were in Egypt, and released them from their slavery, adopted them as kids, and now he's saying, listen, because I've set you free, because I've adopted you as my kids, because I've released you from your chains of bondage, and because I love you, here are now some instructions for your good and for your benefit. And if you abide by these instructions, you will flourish. It will go well for you. A lot of times we approach the Old Testament and God in general as, you know, God just puts these limitations and restrictions and rules on me to limit my fun. And, you know, he's just trying to be this just party pooper, just telling me I can't do this, I can't do that. And if I disobey him, you know, he's not going to love me as much as when I obey him. All right, this is not the context by which the law was given. The law was given to a freed people and a loved people by God. And now he says, I want you to obey these things because I love you and because it will go well for you. So this is the context by which we see the Ten Commandments. Now, the first four commandments are all vertical. The first four commandments are all in relation to between us and the Lord. And you can look at, uh, let it, let's just go ahead and let's read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. Exodus 20, 1 through 8 says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. All right, jump to verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those are the first four commandments. The first four commandments are all vertical. Our relationship with the Lord. 
The next six out of the 10 are all horizontal, how we then relate and behave to people around us. So what God is essentially doing here, he says, listen, the first four commandments, all vertical, how you relate, uh, how your relationship uh, with me. And we got to get the vertical right before we get the horizontal right. We've got, you've got to know and understand who I am. We've got to have this relationship right with the first four commandments. And then we get to the six commandments because we got to know how to relate to God before we can relate to other people. So that's how we divide the 10 commandments up. The first four vertical, the last six horizontal. So the two commandments we looked at last week were you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall have no other gods before me. All right, we're on the vertical here. And you shall not make for yourself an idol. And in our last, our number three and four, which we'll look at tonight, those are also going to be a part of the vertical. So we looked at you shall not, you shall have no other gods before me. And we talked about this because God is essentially like, hey, first things first, before we go into this new land, which I'm going to take you, you got to understand, listen, you can't have any other gods before me. And all of those other gods that you were leaving from Egypt, like the sun god Ra, all of those other gods, because Egypt, Egypt was a very polytheistic nation, meaning many gods, they worshipped a multiplicity of gods. All those other gods, not even real. They're all fake. Those are all false gods. They can bring you no comfort. They can bring you no hope. They can bring you no fulfillment or satisfaction. And he's addressing this with them because they're also about to enter a land called Canaan, where there's also going to be other gods. And we talked about Baal, Asherah, Molech, Kamosh. Those are the idols and the, the false gods that they are going to be introduced to when they enter the land that God will take them. So God's like, hey, first things first, you can't have any other gods before me, all right, because they're not even real. And we applied that to our own lives because a lot of us think, well, you know, I would never, I would never be fooled by that, all right, false gods. I mean, I, I would never be fooled by this, all right, but listen, we still have false gods before us today. We just call them different things. We call them the God of sex. We call them pleasure. We call it money. We call it, uh, you name it, we call it work. And listen, sex, pleasure, money, all those things, not bad in and of themselves. Don't misunderstand me. When the Bible talks about sex and money and pleasure and uh, all this stuff, you know, those things aren't bad in and of themselves necessarily. It's only when we make those good things, God things, it's always a bad thing. Whenever we make those good things in our lives, because God created sex, God created pleasure, God gave us the ability to make money, but when we make those very well good things in our lives, we make those good things God things, it's always a bad thing, and God is saying, listen, before we enter into this new land, you got to understand, all those other gods that you worshiped, they cannot help you, and all of the other stuff that we run to for fulfillment and satisfaction and gratification, it will never satisfy you like I've satisfied you. It will never, never satisfy you like I can bring satisfaction to your life. So we got to understand, God's like, I brought you out of slavery. And if you fall back into the deception of these other gods, you're just putting yourself back in bondage. You're just enslaving yourselves again. I didn't set you free for you to then go enslave yourselves to something that can't truly satisfy. Then we talked about, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And this really is about making something or crafting something with your hands or with your heart that reduces or replaces God. And what's very interesting there is you can look in verse 4 of chapter 20. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below. And we talked about Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, who was created to be the likeness of God. We were. 
God created us to be the image bearers of God. So when Israel, when the Hebrew people go and they carve other idols to represent God, God's like, listen, that position's already taken. You are to be my image bearers. I created you in my likeness. Every other thing is false. And we, you know, can play this same kind of a game. Well, how stupid and ridiculous is that? I would never bow down or worship anything carved out of stone or anything carved out of wood. But again, we have other idols in our lives. It's just might, it might just be a little bit more difficult to spot because we now call these idols the bottle. We might call these idols a computer. You know, these idols come in different forms. It might come in the form of a bottle or a computer or a screen or social media, whatever those, whatever those things might be. And we have now elevated those things to a place where God never intended those to sit. And so God says here, second commandment, you shall have and make no other idols. You are to be my image bearers. All right, that was a long introduction to our next new commandments. We're taking it two by two each week. Here's number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It's a good one right here. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. ESV or New King James Version would say, you, can, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Maybe you've heard it put that way. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We're going to look into that. But I love when we kind of just uh, speak verses out loud. So I'd love for us to say these two commandments out loud, starting with number three. One, two, three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Very good. So we're going to start with number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Um, Read with me in Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at verse seven together. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's pretty strong, Lord. What are you saying here? You will not hold him guiltless, All right, so as I mentioned, my New King James Version reads a little bit differently than the verse I put up for you on the screen. My New King James Version, or if you have an ESV, it'll say, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So this commandment has led to um, a lot of like extreme um, traditions uh, that the Jewish people have placed upon this, you know, and and they want to, you know, in their defense, they want to treat this command very seriously. So uh, I don't know if, you know, if you're a Bible nerd or a Bible geek like myself, you'll have just read different uh, articles or just done your own research. And you'll oftentimes see within like a Jewish Bible or a Jewish commentary, they will write G-D. They won't even spell out the name God or the word God. It'll be G-D. Or a lot of times as well, you'll, you'll often see that when they see the name God, Yahweh, or, or God, they will use the Hebrew words Hashem, meaning the name. All right, so they won't, even, they won't even say the name and they just write it out, Hashem, the name, because they take this very seriously. All right, so that might be an unnecessary extreme, but I appreciate how they're trying to take this commandment seriously. There are three common ways I believe we violate this third commandment. Three common ways I believe we violate this third commandment, and here it is on the screen for you. Profanity, frivolity, and hypocrisy. Profanity, frivolity, and hypocrisy. There are three common ways I believe that we violate 
this third commandment. Profanity essentially is using the name of God as blasphemy or cursing. All right. So using the name of God in a profane way. All right. And, you know, just just so we can kind of be clear here and, you know, just you're not. okay. what 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 are you you talking about here? Like if if you've used this before or you've heard it saying like uh, God D it. All right. That would be taking the Lord's name in vain. It would be it would be using it in a very profane way. Second way would be frivolity. And just what I mean by that is just frivolously. Like we just throw it out there like it's, it's just we use it superficially or stupidly, honestly. Like, and, you know, and this might, you know, maybe you disagree with me on this, but I think that frivolity, that this falls in the camp of frivolity is when we use, oh my God. Or, or even like just in normal kind of like frivolously, like just in conversation, conversation like, oh God, no. Something like that. That would be using the name of God frivolously. I think that's a violation of what God is talking about here in, in his third commandment. Just using that, just using his name out there in conversation. Oh my God, you know, that, you know, personally speaking, when I hear that, you know, it, it's kind of offensive to me. Using the name of God just frivolously. Third thing, and I think this is the most common way, I think, you know, we are all guilty of this, um, is using it hypocritically. Using the name of God in, in a hypocritical way. And what I mean by that is when we profess to, Bear than it, you know, we're, we're God's image bearers, remember? We were created in the likeness of God, and when we profess to know Jesus, when we profess to claim the name of Christ for ourselves, but then we disgrace the name of God through our behavior and actions, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. That's using God's name hypocritically. And I believe that that falls in the camp of hypocrisy. When we are claiming the name of Christ for ourselves, when we're saying, I'm a Christian, Christian, proclaiming the name of Christ upon us, saying we're, we're believers in God, but within hypocritically through our actions, we disgrace the name of God. I think that's a violation of this third commandment in taking the name of the Lord in vain. Jesus taught us to have regard for God's name. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is with his disciples. And his disciples say, Lord, how, how should we pray? How should we pray to God? And the very first thing, the very first thing within the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Holy, holy is your name. So I want to I challenge us tonight. If maybe you fought, you've fallen within this camp between these three in violation of God's third commandment, always just kind of keep that in check and just recall to your mind, Matthew 6, verse 9, that we are to treat the name of God with holiness, with reverence. We are not to use it in a profane way or just frivolously, or even with hypocrisy. And then let's go to the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, let's check this out. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then God gives a little bit of explanation here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All right, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle. I love how he kind of just throws that one in there as well. He's like, listen, give, uh, give the udders a break. You know, give, uh, the cows need a little bit of a break here. The, uh, the udders are, uh, have had too much milk. <laughs> nor your strangers who is within your gates. All right, then verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, there's that word again, and hallowed it, or your, your translation might say, or made it 
holy. So this is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. All right, what is going on here? God's telling his people, listen, there is only one day out of the seven, one day that you are supposed to keep consecrated to me, that you are supposed to devote to me, and he's not even throwing, like, like six out of the seven, not even five, not even half, like, let's go three and a half out of the seven, let's dedicate it to me. He's like, listen, I want to make it real easy on you guys. One out of the seven days, you keep it all to me. You just devote it to me. You dedicate it to me. You just relax. You do no work. Just play it cool. Just chill. Just unwind. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, this is hilarious. So, this is what, again, the, the Jewish people in, in trying to keep the seriousness of this have gone to extra extremes in attempt to keep this commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And a quick side note here, the, the original Sabbath day would have been on a Saturday. All right, the beginning of the Jewish work week was a Sunday. So the end of the week was a Saturday. Now, why we have church on a Sunday, uh, it's for good reason and there's good conversation. If you're curious, we can talk about it afterwards. Uh, but you know, in, in the original ancient, ancient tradition of the Sabbath day, it was on a Saturday, and God says, listen, on this day, on this Saturday, just, just relax, all right, don't, don't do any work, and what's so funny is that even, even today, there's a lot of um, observation in Jewish homes, all right, for, for trying to keep this commandment, you can't turn on a light switch, all right, you can't push a button, all right, even um, for those of you who've been to Israel uh, with us uh, on our cornerstone trips. Um, I've been to Israel a couple of times and uh, I was like, what is going on here? It was, uh, it was a Saturday, obviously, and we landed, I think, on a Friday. And uh, we got into our hotel and it was like literally like, tw- our room was like 12, stor- uh, 12 stories up. And we go to the elevator and uh, we're just standing there, like literally for like five minutes and we're just pushing the button, pushing the button over and over again. And then this one uh, Jewish guy, he's like, what are you doing? And we're like, we're waiting for the elevator. We got our, our room on the fourth floor or on the 12th floor here. He's like, it's the Sabbath. And we were like, okay, thanks, thanks for the reminder. What, what, what does that even mean? He's like, well, we don't use our elevators on the Sabbath. We don't, we're not allowed to press buttons. So we had to walk all 12 flights of stairs to get to our room. That's the Sabbath day. So that's what they do. They, they can't turn on light switches they can't push buttons, you know, they, 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 try to keep, they try to keep this very seriously. So, uh, you know, and this tradition goes back uh, centuries to um, ancient Jewish tradition. And in Luke chapter 6, you, you even see this playing out in Luke chapter 6. So in Luke chapter 6, some of Jesus' disciples are going through the wheat fields, all right, and they're picking um, some of the grain. And the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they approach Jesus and they confront Jesus. They say, hey, why, why are your disciples picking wheat? It's the Sabbath day. And they, you know, this was against their Sabbath tradition because what they considered for, for them to be plucking the wheat and, and eating the grain, it was considered harvesting. You can't do any work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, listen, the Sabbath day was not, the man was not, Sabbath day wasn't, the man was not, can someone turn off that cell phone? Gosh. I'm about, to, I'm about to take the name of the Lord in vain right here. All right. All right, we'll keep moving on. I'm sorry. Jesus says, listen, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was made for man. So he... <laughs> I'm sorry. Someone answer their gosh dang phone. I'm Christian cussing. All right. Jesus says, listen... 
don't take this Sabbath day so seriously here. And the Pharisees called out the disciples because they were eating some of the grain. He says, listen, you're harvesting. They took this very seriously. Listen, even going back to Jewish times, you couldn't even spit on the Sabbath. You couldn't even spit on the Sabbath because if by chance your spitball started to plow a dirt path, that would be considered plowing on the Sabbath day. You couldn't even spit on the Sabbath day. All right, and listen, here's some funny things just as a, in, in doing some research, all right? Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath day, you could not carry something in your right hand or in your left hand, but you could actually carry it on the back of your hand. You could do this, all right? You, you could actually do this and carry something around, which is honestly impossible, but you couldn't carry it in your hand. All right, you could carry something in your ear, but you couldn't carry it in your hand. You could carry something in your hair. You know, if you had long hair, you could tie it to your hair and you could carry it around like this because that wouldn't be breaking any code, but you couldn't carry it like this. So this was the ridiculousness of the extremes that they took this rule by. We got to obey the Sabbath. And so they added on to the commandments here. And, you know, this carries on, like I mentioned, to, to Jewish tradition today. You go to Israel on the Sabbath, don't go to an elevator. It ain't going to work. You ain't going to be able to get to your room. You got to walk the stairs. So listen, God established the pattern after, after uh, creation. All right, and we're kind of pulling it back in here. God's like, listen, in six days I created the world. On the seventh day I ceased from my working. And then in that verse, verse it says, and, and on that seventh day he sanctified it. He hallowed it. It's the Hebrew word Kadesh. Q-A-D-E-S-H. Kadesh. And it literally translates to consecrate something. So God is saying, listen, on the seventh day, I ceased from my work. And just like me ceasing from my work, you can take a lesson from my pattern. You can work six days and on the seventh day, just relax, just unwind. So he patterned it after the six days of creation. But here's the key here. And I've mentioned this before. Everything in the Old Testament, every law, all 613 laws, all 10 commandments were only put in place to foreshadow the greater fulfillment of those commandments in Jesus Christ. Every single commandment that you read was put in place by God to foreshadow the coming of Jesus Christ. It says this in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you're taking notes, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the example of those who were disobedient. The Sabbath day was put in place to foreshadow the rest and the ultimate fulfillment we would have in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, what inevitably then happened was we no longer have to work to attain our righteousness with God. We no longer have to work to attain our salvation. And ultimately, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So when we go to Jesus Christ, we can have confidence and we can rest in the person of Jesus that we no longer have to work for our salvation. So the Sabbath day was put in place by God to point to a greater fulfillment. And that rest was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why, and we're bringing it back to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, 
So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is Christ. What Paul is saying there is, listen, we don't have to any longer feel obligated to abide by all these festivals and all these feasts and all these new moon festivities or even Sabbath because the substance of all of those things was, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Paul was saying, listen, the Sabbath day is no longer binding. So you can have a Sabbath day, you can not have a Sabbath day, but the, because the ultimate purpose and the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now we go to Jesus Christ, spiritually we can have that ultimate rest. That's what Paul talks about here. Also in Galatians chapter 4, you can write that down. Galatians 4 verses 9 through 11 tells us that Christians are not bound to observe days, seasons, months, or feasts. So all of this was fulfilled in Christ. But listen, even though we're not longer any, no longer any ob- obligated to kind of still follow, follow a Sabbath day, you know, we go to church on a Sunday, that's kind of considered our Sabbath day, that's kind of considered our, our Sabbath rest. We're no longer obligated or tied to that anymore because Jesus fulfilled that. Our rest is found in him. But listen, this principle, and just in our last five minutes, this principle is so key. This principle of just having a day where you just unwind and you just put aside your work and you just talk to real people and you just get off your phones and you just, whether maybe you're, maybe it's even just playing pickup football, which we love to do on Sundays as well. Just unwinding and dedicating a whole day just to talk to family, talk to friends, spend time with the Lord, go to church, take it seriously. I'm not saying you have to practice it to the extremes of the Jewish people, but take it seriously because listen, here's what's going to happen. If you don't dedicate a certain day to the Lord and you just don't have that time where you just unwind and just relax and don't do anything, you're going to fill all of that time with just different distractions. And, you know, some people I even know, they just hate being bored. I I can't be bored. I can't do nothing. And so they fill all of their time with just other things that might be fine, other good things. They search just to fill that time just with other stuff. And what happens is you're going to fill all of that time just with distractions that you're going to lose sight of your focus and you will eventually lose what's most important in your life. You will end up losing your family, losing your friends, you'll end up losing that sweet time with the Lord because you don't know and you haven't learned the principle of just taking a day off, just sitting before the Lord and going to church and just unwinding and not doing anything and just giving that time for your body to recharge. I'm terrible at charging my phone. I'm terrible at charging my phone battery. And, you know, my my wife and my family, they'll always call me out on it. You know, they'll always be texting me and I'll never, you know, my, my phone will just, it, it just won't be charged. And, you know, it's so easy for me just to plug it in at night and just let it, let it charge. But for whatever reason, I, I just don't do that. All right. We need to practice the same things spiritually. All right. You need to make your phone lie down. You need to make your phone lie down and you need to plug it back into that source that's going to charge your battery. And if we don't allow the Lord just to kind of make us lie down and we just plug ourselves into the Lord and plug ourselves into that power source, 
our battery is going to be running low and we're going to be trying to accomplish all of these things in our own strength and effort and it's not going to amount to anything. So just like you put your cell phones and you plug it into the wall, take a day just to connect and plug back into the Lord just so that your battery can be recharged. I was at school um, and I'll end on this. I was at school. Uh, I, was a, I was a freshman in college, so I went to Liberty. And uh, we called the cafeteria the rot. You, still got, you guys still at Liberty, you call it that, the rot? So I was at the rot. And uh, don't ask me why we called, that, called it that. I, I don't know. It's weird. So we, we were at, I was at the rot, and I just picked up some, some lunch. And uh, was, I, I drove down to the cafeteria, to the rot, and then was just going to drive back up to my room and knock out some school. And so after I finished eating, I got back to my car. And the, the battery was dead. I tried to turn the car on, battery was dead. And so I called my buddy Andrew and Andrew was up in our room. I said, hey, Andrew, my car's dead. Could you come down, just take a look at it and uh, just see if it's, see if you know better than I do how to fix this thing. So I, I popped the hood, you know, I'm trying to look like I know what's going on. And, you know, I popped the hood, I'm looking at the X3000, the millimeter throttle and uh, the Z3 XD. I'm just trying to, you know, work on the car and just try to pretend like I know what I'm doing and pop the hood. And then Andrew comes, I'm like, Andrew, you know, you know, I put some grease on my hands, you know, just, just to look like I was doing something, you know, put maybe put a little grease on the cheek just to make sure, you know, people knew like, Hey, this guy knows what he's doing with cars. Like this guy's pretty cool. Like we should be friends with him. So I pop the hood and I'm just looking at the car and I have no, no, no clue, no clue what, what's going on. And so Andrew comes and, you know, again, guys, don't judge me. I'm a freshman in college. I hadn't done much work up to that point. I know a little bit more than I do now. Andrew comes and he looks under the car with me and he says, yeah, man, I don't know what's, what's wrong. Um, do you have AAA? And, you know, in my head, and I might have verbalized this to him. I hope not. But in my head, I'm thinking like, you idiot, what are AAA batteries going to do? This is a freaking vehicle. And, and, uh, and he didn't know what to do either. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, listen, you know, you're a couple hundred miles away. My car is dead. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Uh, he, was, he was friends with uh, the pastor at Calvary Chapel Lynchburg where we went to church. So he called him up. He said, hey, do you have a guy that could come uh, just tow my son's car and, and get it to like a repair shop? So, so my dad called his friend and he hooked me right up. He brought a his tow truck over, and he hauled my car to a warehouse, replaced the battery, it was a dead battery, and recharged it, all good to go. And essentially, that's the same thing we need to do with the Lord, because we have relationship with him. We just need to call him up, and he's going to be right there to fix all of our problems, to fix what we need, and we can find that rest in him. Because I'm telling you, before my dad called up his friend, I'm freaking out here. I'm like, I got to have my car. I don't know what to do. And I'm trying all that I can in my own strength. I'm messing and fooling around with stuff. And I don't know how to fix the car. It's not bringing me any rest. I don't know what's going on. And all it was was just a simple phone call to a buddy. And he knew exactly what to do. Picked up the car, took it to a repair shop, and fixed all that I needed. And I'm not saying that every time we go to the Lord, he's just going to fix all of our problems. But what I am saying is that we know someone that we can go to who we can find that ultimate rest in, who we can find that ultimate satisfaction in. And it's even easier than a phone call. It's just crying out to the Lord, Lord, I'm just in a restless season right now. I don't know what to do and I don't know where I'm going and I don't exactly know what I've gotten myself into and I'm just restless. I don't know what or who can appease all the anxiety that I've been finding myself in. And we can just begin to just worry 
constantly when all it takes is just, Lord, can you just help me? And there is power in the name of Jesus when we reach out to him. And the Lord promises when we go to him with our burdens and with our stress and with our worry and with our days, with our schoolwork, with our problems, with problems at work, with problems in our relationships, with problems at home, when we call out to the name of Jesus, I am telling you from personal experience, there will be ultimate rest and satisfaction. And the Bible says in the New Testament that a peace that surpasses understanding will come over you. And that's all you need to do is to call upon the name of the Lord and we will find that ultimate rest and satisfaction in him. So practice the Sabbath day and treat it as a good principle, not as something that you're obligated to, but just to know the importance of just recharging and just finding rest in the Lord so that we're not distracted by the cares of this world that will just end up weighing us down. So let's go to the Lord right now and let's just pray. And even right now as we pray, you can just begin to just mentally capture some of those things that just have been weighing on you. And let's just come before the Lord and let's just find some rest in him right now. Lord, we come before you, God, and we thank you for these two commandments, Lord. Lord, I pray first, firstly for those of us who, for those of us who feel like we um, are burdened by things, Lord. We're just, things are weighing in on us weighing down on us. God, I just ask that we would find rest in you, that we wouldn't search or go looking for other things to find that rest, Lord, but that we would just come to you in the days and confusing seasons that we find ourselves in, that we would come to you where we can experience that ultimate rest and satisfaction, Lord, that we would just practically observe the Sabbath day and just dedicate a day to you, Lord, where we can just recharge and just find rest in you. May your peace come over us, Lord, that surpasses understanding. I pray, Lord, as well, if some of us are convicted by this third commandment where we've been struggling, whether through profanity or frivolity or hypocrisy, where we've been just blaspheming your name, we've been taking your name in vain, I pray that you would convict us, Lord, and that we would repent of that. That we would change our direction, that we would change our mindset, Lord, that we would treat your name with such holiness, God, that we would hold your name with reverence. Because it is in the name of Jesus where we find our comfort, where we find our rest, where we find our strength, where we find our power, where we find our help. And how ridiculous would it be if the same name that brings us help and power and comfort, that same name we then go and blaspheme. Lord, may that not be on our lips. May that not be on our minds. We treat your name with reverence and holiness. And in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, we can experience everything that our heart needs and longs for. Give us that rest, Lord. Love you. We praise you. Help us now as we go about our work week, our school days, out with family and friends. Help us just to recall these commandments to our mind, Lord, and help us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.